I'm Kurt Benkert, and this is Pocket Presence, powered by Sleeper. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Pocket Presence. If you can't tell, I'm on the road. If you're listening and not visually watching, then it will make no different. But we need to talk about something really quickly. We loved the episode last week so much with Tyler when he came through, helped moderate and guide the conversation that we decided to bring him back. And this officially coming in as a co-host of the show. Tyler, we're super excited to have you deeper involved, helping guide the conversation and build this out with us. I'm super excited, Kurt. I mean, the episode last week went well. It was super energized after the conversation and just being able to talk ball with somebody like you who knows so much about it definitely beats the conversations I have with my high school friends. So I'm more than happy to do this uh, with you on a regular basis. I love that, man. I think you're the perfect yin, yin to my yang of like, Sometimes I'm unorthodox and a little all over the place, but help me get to the point, help me guide this thing along. But I'm excited to have you. And shoot, man, I think we're like, what, 13 or so episodes in, something like that. So cool that we've got a little bit of traction. Now you're ready to help ramp it up with us, but don't want to take any longer. I want to get into what we have this week, week 15 in the NFL. There's a lot of storylines, like a lot of them, and some of them are already pointing towards the NFL season. If you want to kick us off, got a big one starting, just came out. Yeah, so the rumor mill has been circulating already. And of course, we know that the Patriots were just eliminated from playoff contention, which has to be, I think there was all these stats that were coming out. How it was the first time for Bill Belichick on multiple fronts this year. You know, the first time he had a losing season so earlier in the season has to be the first time they were eliminated from the playoffs already. And with all of these yeah. rumors circulating, it's hard for me to imagine that there isn't some conversation regarding him not coming back as a coach next year but we talked about it last week it's also hard to imagine that he would be fired i mean we're talking about the greatest coach of all time so i mean where do you think this lands at the end of the year yeah i think it's kind of like they know they're out of the playoffs they're gonna let him finish the job i'm not shocked i also if i was him man they have some stuff going on in new england they it's gonna take a few years to rebuild from that if they ever come back within this decade And if I'm Bill, I think his formula for the most part works. And there's some teams roster wise that I think he could go and help revamp on a quicker turnaround. And one, I'm looking at you, Chargers in LA. I think they've been needing a real defensive minded coach that can, you know, put pen to paper and has results. And he's done that. That's the one thing with this New England team. They suck on offense. They're so bad. Their roster sucks on offense, but their defense. They don't really have any like stud guys, but they're good every single year. And I think if Justin Herbert had a defense at all, they could be really good. But I think he's going to have to hire the right offensive guy. Who knows what happens? I'm, and that's all assuming that Staley's fired, right? Like we have to kind of cut to the chase there. But I look at a team like them. I look at a team like the Raiders. There's some teams out there that I think his style could help them be a little more consistent and have a better roster than what he's had in the last few years. So I'm excited to see what happens. I think it's going to be weird because again, some of the roster deficits are his fault. He's GM too. So I'm excited to see in what capacity does he leave? What does his next gig look like? And does he even want to coach? We haven't even confirmed that yet. So this off season, I think like most off seasons, there's a lot of action that goes on a lot of QB carousels and all that stuff, but him particularly Man, the rise was a long, it took a long while to rise. He stayed up at the top, but this fall has been fast since Tom Brady left. And I think we're all just kind of going to grab our popcorn and see what happens. Could you talk a little bit more about what that process is? We we obviously know the infamous do your job mentality in New England, but you mentioned it as Tom Brady has left. It seems like maybe a lot of that meteoric rise, long sustained success happened because of Tom Brady and maybe in spite of Bill Belichick. So walk us through what, that process that you described that he'd be bringing to other teams. Yeah, I think, man, I think the biggest part of what you see with their process is like the consistency of how they prepare the consistent, the consistency that like they don't ever get too high. Don't get too low. It's definitely a mentality for their team. Is it the most fun way to play football? No, but some teams right now, they just need something. They need some sort of structure. It kind of looks like they're run by outlaws a little bit. Some of these bad teams out there, Cardinals, I'm looking at you. I don't really know what's going on with you there. But I think some of these teams have talent. Bill has never, on paper, had the most talented team, in my opinion, besides when they had Randy Moss on that stretch. Like, that team was crazy. They've always had good guys, and they've developed. But I'm like, man, what could he go do in, like, 
look at what Dan Quinn has done with the Cowboys defense research. Like they're top dogs in the league, just ferocious. And the Cowboys offense is able to feast off of that. I would love to see Belichick going as a head coach, but run his defense like that and try to take that Cowboys esque like, let's just elevate a team that's already really close. And I think he can do that. Don't let him touch the roster. Let him have input, but don't let him touch the roster. And I mean, the NFL is very much you got to win now and you don't have time to rebuild. You don't have time to like get your draft picks all caught up to speed. You have to win now or you're out and we'll see if he can do it. Do you think that's what happened in New England? It's hard to quite put your finger on it again. You can look at Tom Brady leaving. You can look at the game evolving more to the offensive side of the ball, which obviously isn't Bill's specialty. But like you said, this fall has been really quickly. And I just wonder if a part of it has been, maybe he's just been given so much control. He's built up so much goodwill in the organization that there's, (laughs) he's just not, his his power has gone unchecked. So do you think that's the key to him returning to form? Do you think he can ever bring another team back to the Super Bowl, Or do you think maybe the game has just moved him by moving to the offensive side of the ball? Man, that's a really good question for me. My gut my gut says, like, I will never count him out. And I got to see a side of him on the McAfee show the other day. Um, actually, it was on college game day. But McAfee was, like, talking to him and whatnot. And you saw him lighten up a little bit and, like, have fun and, like, crack a joke. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even know he had that in him. And so I'm like, man, maybe he's just seasonally depressed up there in New England. And he's not getting enough sunshine. I would love to see, like, a complete character flip for Belichick. Send him somewhere sunny. Let him hang out on a beach and go coach ball. And like maybe the second side of his career, he can lighten up a little bit and bring that to the players. And that's, I think, what it's actually going to take. Because if the players are not having fun, it's really hard all year long. Like winning football cures a lot of things. But as soon as you're not winning and you're not having fun, this shit can get miserable fast. And I think there's enough enough coaches around the league right now that are showing you, you can win games and have a lot of fun doing it. Look at the Dolphins. Shoot. Look at the Bills of the past few years. They look like they're a fun team. Andy Reid with the Chiefs, like they look like they're having fun. And again, some of these teams are having down years here and there, but consistently winning, consistently doing better than what the Patriots have done in the last few years, and they're having fun doing it. And I think Bill has it in him. I'd love to see it come out. And I don't think it's a lost cause, but I think that's actually what it's going to take. It's not even about the X's and O's. It's the quality of life with on the, like while being on the team. So let's say after this year, 2023, it marks the official end of the Patriots dynasty timeline. You know, the, the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick Man, era. With over, him leading, dude. Just crazy to think about. Over. With retrospect, yeah. you know, the benefit of retrospect or hindsight, what percentage would you give Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick for how over. long they were successful? Because that's the conversation right now. It's like you see how much Bill Belichick struggled. Tom Brady obviously went on to win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. What percentage would you apply each guy you know to attribute the success of 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 their dynasty to dude i used to say 50 50 then i started leaning like maybe it's 60 40 tom and after this year i'm like i think it was 70 30 tom i don't think i don't think tom would have won that many super bowls without belichick but tom probably still would have won like two three you know like within new england's scheme but belichick's defenses were always top like always top, I think every single year, except for maybe one um, that they went to the Super Bowl and won it. And I think Tom Brady and him were the perfect paired match for how Tom runs offense. And again, he wasn't the offensive coordinator, but damn near like it ran through him and with how the defense could be counted on and make plays and not give up the big play and create turnovers. It was a really good formula. And I think the game is changing. Obviously quarterbacks are changing and all that, but those two worked really well together. And I, yeah, I think, the answer to that question is 70-30 Tom Brady, which me a few years ago would not have been saying. It. Kurt, you mentioned something earlier that I stuck with me. You mentioned Belichick going to a team that helped bring them over the top. You mentioned the Chargers as one obvious location. How much is Belichick thinking about his landing spot? You know, obviously there are quarterbacks in play at all of these teams that he'll have to consider. I think of the teams you listed, the Raiders, <laughs> Cardinals, Chargers. There's probably an obvious top two there for me but like how much is he considering that and what you know what do you think is going on in LA to begin with I can't believe that Brandon Staley hasn't been fired but maybe there's some method to that madness or you could explain yeah man I think I'll start with this I think that the landing spot matters and I think at this point in his career there's going to be a lot of boxes that have to be checked it's going to be a quarterback with which obviously over the last few years, he has learned even even though even if he didn't already believe it, the quarterback matters the most. 
that is like the lifeline of your team. And if you don't have a guy, it's hard to get a guy. Like it's not just this thing that happens Two, um, I really think that the location like geographically will matter to him because if you look at him, like how he's, at least from what I've seen in social media or like paparazzi wise, how he spent his off seasons has been in the sun, but like on the water, by the beaches, like I could really see, look, he's given like two decades, I believe in new England. Why would he want to go anywhere else? That's like, not just a super upgrade lifestyle wise when he doesn't really need to coach anymore. He could go on TV if he wanted to like, if I'm him, this is like my retirement job, but I'm not treating it as that. I'm treating it as like, I'm going to go win games and give myself the best chance. And what is what does that look like? Stud quarterback, solid receivers. They need to revamp the O-line, obviously. And then defense, like, do you have guys that can wreck games on defense? And they do. And so the way that I look at it, that's the perfect landing spot for him to just restart, have, you know, blank canvas, essentially, with all the right pieces. Um, another interesting piece that I was like, just kind of thinking about Tom Brady has part ownership of the Raiders. Hmm. Could you imagine if Tom Brady came out of retirement, Belichick is the coach and Tom Brady's part owner player for the Raiders next year. They don't have a quarterback. Obviously if he's going to go to any team, I think he'd have to be the team that he has part ownership of. And I don't know. That's just something that dawned on me. Maybe we'll be seeing how that plays out. Could be crazy. Mark Davis is known for wanting to make a splash, and he's obviously known for trying to attract Belichick disciples in Josh McDaniel, no who doubt. just fired there. So, an interesting theory. <laughs> um, interesting theory. How much does lifestyle play into some of these decisions? Obviously, when you're a player, you have mm-hmm. less of a choice. Sometimes, you know, in free agency, you have a bit of a choice of where you want to go. But for a guy like Belichick, you'll assume yeah. he'll have a, hand, a handful of choices to go, and he's not married it just came out earlier this year that he broke up with a longtime girlfriend so he's kind of this bachelor (laughs) who can who can go wherever so like how much as he's thinking about this do you think just personal lifestyle plays into even wanting to coach or not wanting to coach i think at this point in his career it's everything because i feel like new england staying that long is like more of a legacy deal where now that the legacy is done what matters the most next okay probably historical like history of the franchise so like a team like the Steelers if Tomlin gets fired like I don't see Belichick wanting to go anywhere like the Titans or like the Cardinals you know like non-legacy type teams Mm -hmm. I think it has to either be a legacy team or a team with a roster that can compete right now preferably both but I don't know if that really exists right now um I think I don't know. I saw a little bit of just like happiness in him on that thing with McAfee, man. And I'm like, ah, it's in there. He's not just all ball. He may just show that he's all ball, but like there's got to be some sort of enjoyment to life that he has deep down inside. And I could see that coming out in LA. Like I would love to see what does LA Belichick look like. Mm. Sleeveless, maybe got a little, little tan, something, you know, like, like maybe re- like Wolf of Wall Street type. Vibe. Sure. He slicks back like his hair, him, like reinvent himself. <laughs> yeah, it goes a little Jordan Belfort. Like, what if he just completely reinvents himself? That'd be crazy. Loses a couple lbs, just as like on the beach. All yeah. I yeah. mean, maybe we'll see. Okay, Kurt, done talking about teams that are eliminated from the playoffs. <laughs> as interesting as it is, we, we do have some really good football this weekend. In a public announce, public service yeah. announcement to everybody, there are some games on Saturday now, which caught me by surprise. Uh, one of Whoa. one one of those games, uh, which I think is contender for game of the week is Denver versus Detroit. And I think if you would have told me, told both of us at the beginning of this year, that this was going to be one of the potential best games of the weekend, we might have scratched our heads with how Denver started out, but now it's shaping up to be a matchup of two playoff teams that are frankly trending in different directions. Yeah, and to be honest, like huge, huge playoff implications on both sides. Like the seeding is going crazy. The Broncos are one game out of first in... Uh, the in their division in the AFC West. The Lions don't look good. Their defense is really tough right now. And I think, again, I saw the line open up at plus five and a half. It's since moved to plus four in favor of, it's moving in favor of the Broncos, right? Broncos still plus four. I think this is the trickiest game of the week because matchup wise, you look at the rosters and you're like, okay, the Lions, like they got the better roster. But then you look at like how these teams play ball and you're like, oh my God, the Broncos are not a team that they match up well against. They control the clock. They don't turn over the football. They they like run the ball well in their play action with big plays. Cortland, Cortland Sutton is like a problem. And 
the Lions DBs have a problem. So it's, this feels like a make or break game for the Lions. I don't think this is make or break for the Broncos. They need this win. It'll help, but they can get others along this stretch to still make the playoffs. I don't know, man. I, I This is probably the first time in the year that I haven't been able to clearly pick a side of who I believe in. It all depends on who shows up on Saturday. Mm. Saturday, right? Saturday, yep. Is it Saturday? It all depends on who shows up on Saturday. Does golf turn over the ball? Does Russell Wilson have one turnover that ruins the game? Like, that's kind of what it is. Russ has done a great job this year protecting the football, but it just takes one against the Lions team, and then they can kind of, like, lap you. They can get ahead, score a few touchdowns in a row, and the Broncos aren't built to play from behind. But if you let the Broncos stay in this game, if golf has a turnover or two, that D-line for the Broncos is playing well, this is a trap game, like an absolute trap game, but they know it's coming. So I'm excited to watch it. I don't – I think this is a game I'm going to stay far away from in any gambling or betting or anything. And I'm just excited to watch some good TV on this. Can you talk a bit about momentum? I think it's interesting when you consider the trends of these teams. So the Lions in their last couple of games, they barely squeaked one out against the Chargers a couple weeks ago. They barely beat the Bears the next week. They obviously lose to the Packers, barely beat the Saints after getting up really big early and then almost having the Saints come back Mm -hmm. and then lose to the Bears. So it seems like they are either winning, barely winning, or they're losing to teams that they should beat. Meanwhile, you have the Broncos who are winning games and they're barely beating teams that they should probably lose to. So like, is that taken into account in a locker room where teams are like, oh, maybe we're getting a little lucky or maybe we're getting a little unlucky and we're better than our previous record has, has been showing? Yeah, I think it matters. And I think like the way that I like to look at the NFL is, again, whole body of work says, what are you capable of? And Broncos body of work says they're capable of being consistent of taking care of the football, but they can also get blown out like very quickly if things go wrong, if they don't stick to the script. And then you look at the Lions, they're able to blow people out, but they're also able to fumble the bag really bad and start turning the ball over and start pressing. And it doesn't look good when it doesn't look good. And their defense is susceptible to the big play. So it's like what I want to see is first drive of the game for both teams. How do they come out and attack? What's their game plan? And like, how do they react to things either going their way or not going their way? And I think by the first two drives, you know, between both, I have a pretty good feel of like, man, this game's going to go a certain way. And especially with these two teams, man, you know, when golf drops back and he's ripping it across the middle of the field in stride and like no hesitation, oh, it's going to be one of those golf games. It's going to be one of those golf games. Conversely, when he's like patting the ball and like his feet aren't good, like, starting to get sacked, drop the ball a little bit. It's going to be one of those games. So this is a wait and see game for me. I think both these teams know how good they can be. And both these teams know where their weaknesses lie at this point in the season. And in the locker room, man, you definitely know, you know, it's at stake and you know, you, you have just as good of a feel as like the outside looking in as to who you are and like, what is your identity as a team? And especially as a player, man, you know it, but I guess you don't really talk about it a whole lot on the inside. Yeah, it's just probably, it, I would imagine it's one of those things where you're like, hey, we, we know we've been getting unlucky. Or, I mean, I feel like it's almost harder to admit, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you don't want to admit that you have been getting lucky. You know, like you look at some of these Broncos games yeah. where um, there's a field goal missed at the end that the Bills could have could have got to win. Uh, or they, mm-hmm. you know, they, they barely squeak one out against the, uh, the, the Vikings the very next week. Like these are games where maybe you want to admit to yourself, we did enough to win, but in reality, you probably should have lost. Like, are those conversations that are had? I think so. Yeah. I think especially again, like the Broncos, I think I heard in like a post grant post game, they were just like, just win, like by any means, whatever. Like that's kind of, that's like the identity of a scrappy team though. Like, and I think it being willing to admit that you're a scrappy team that on paper might not be as talented. If you can accept that sometimes it's like a, you know, it's an attribute that you have that, you know, like we're not the better team, but we're going to drag you in like the Lions a year ago. We're going to drag them into the deep water. I think the Broncos kind of know they're one of those teams this year. They're not flashy. They're going to literally go four quarters toe to toe and just body blow the whole way. And then they're not going to mess it up at the end, or at least they're not going to try to. That's that's their formula right now. And some way, somehow it's working. I want you to give me your honest prediction on where these two teams end up at the end of the year. You mentioned there's seeding implications here. There's yeah. playoff implications. Both teams have very, very different schedules as well. The Broncos, after this game yeah. against the Lions, will be at home against the Patriots, at home against the Chargers, yeah. and at the Raiders. So three games are probably going to be favorites in. Meanwhile, the Lions mm-hmm. have the Vikings away, 
the Cowboys away, and then they close out the season with the Vikings at home. So three games that they could very well lose. How, how do you see this playing out the rest of the yeah. year? Okay, so I'm going to look at this now. We have the Lions. So the Lions have the Broncos, the Vikings, the Cowboys, and the Vikings. So I'm going to say that the Lions win this game, but they could very well drop this. I think the Lions will beat the Vikings both of the two times, and then I think the Lions are going to lose to the Cowboys. So the Lions right now are staring at either 11-6 and or... 12 and five right in the face. That's what they're looking at. And they will be number one in the North. I think one win clinches that if I'm not mistaken, like they're very close. They, they got the Vikings. They got the Vikings two out of the next four weeks. So like, I think the Vikings are what seven and six at this point. Yep. If they beat the Vikings one time, they clinch. I'm pretty sure. So I'm looking at the lines. Either going to go two and two or three and one in the next four. They'll be fine. And then you have the Broncos. Like I could see the Broncos winning this game. I could. I think the Broncos will beat the Patriots. They're a better team. I think the Broncos will beat the Chargers right now without um, Justin Herbert. Plus, I just, I like. I think the Broncos play cleaner football than the Chargers. And then at the Raiders, that's going to be a playoff game for the Broncos. Like they're going to need that. So, I could see the Broncos as well. Either going two and two, or they are going to. Mm, I I think the Broncos. The Broncos could win out. Which would put them the at eleven Broncos and could six. Win out which would be insane. I think the Broncos are either going to win out and go 4-0 in the last bit at 11-6, and or they're going to lose the Lions this week, then win out, and they will end up being 10-7, and which, like, holy, because that beginning of the season stretch was gross for them. They were 1-5, nothing in sight, and then the Packers gave them one, and then it just all started from there. So shout-out to the Pack, I guess. <laughs> shout-out to the Packers. I know you talked about them earlier this week, so uh, no, no, <laughs> no, no need to bring them up again. Yeah. Uh, Two teams that also have huge playoff implications in their game, the Cowboys and the Bills, a surging Bills team against the Cowboys team that also yeah. looked really dominant last week. How do you see this one shaking out? I, it's turned out to be a pretty good matchup. I don't think we could have predicted this a couple of weeks ago. No, I don't think we could have. And this is in Buffalo, which is tricky. Um, the Cowboys notoriously do not play as well off of outside of their own stadium, but Buffalo is also turf. Cowboys like playing on turf. They look faster. I, like watching their film, the Cowboys are not a good grass team, and it's weird. Like it, it looks like they're that much different on grass than at home. But cold game outdoors, I could see the Bills sneaking this one away, and that would put the Bills at what eight and six, and like right there. And then the Bills have the Chargers and the Patriots, and then the Dolphins. And the Dolphins are beatable, man. The Dolphins are beatable. And right now, Josh Allen on offense with the new offense coordinator, the way they're stretching the field vertically. They can do it against anybody. And this is their toughest stretch, right? Their toughest game is right now against the Cowboys versus that defense. If they handle business here, they could run the table. And do they win this week? I don't know. But anything in the NFL can happen. The Dolphins just lost to the Titans on Monday Night Football and gave the game away. So this game is going to be interesting. It's all going to be how does Josh Allen protect the ball against a really good pass rush? And for the Cowboys, they they got a pretty they, in my opinion this is kind of like a cakewalk game against the Bills defense but Dak and and friends need to play well in the cold weather so i want to see what does that look like because right now the Cowboys do not have the first round bye locked up they don't have they're in, on the outside looking in on that bye and home field advantage and it's going to get colder in Philly and they're going to have to go back to Philly in the cold so i i want to see what can they do outside of their home stadium on that safe fast turf what change have you seen in this Bills team? We obviously saw Ken Dorsey fired earlier this year. Since then, it seems like they've been clicking a little bit better and now have strung together mm-hmm. a, couple of win- a couple of wins. So, you know, what has been the difference for this offense? Yeah. Dude, they're, the Bills are on attack mode right now. They're, they're using all of their weapons, vertically stretching the field, and then when it's not there, they're checking it down with space to run. Where earlier in the year, it was a lot of RPOs, a lot of like screens, a lot of that stuff where it's like, dude, you have these big playmakers – let them go at least stress the defense vertically and then open up room for the checkdowns versus just designing screens and designing checkdowns. Um, you see, like the best quarterbacks in the league, in my opinion, will drop back ready to rip deep, but they'll take a second hitch to keep coverage dropping back, knowing they're going to the checkdown. And if you check it down to your running back or your stud receiver that has six yards of separation versus three, most times he's going to make the first guy miss. And you're seeing that right now. You're seeing Cook just ripping down the seam in Kansas city on a touchdown as a running back. Like 
that's creative, but you know that you can gash them. You know that you have a quarterback that can put it on a line down the seam. Like they're starting to use their assets and they're starting to play attacking football versus reacting and defensive offense. Um, and that is all the difference. Again, like you got Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, you got Cook, you got your tight ends are balling. They're using them the right way now. And the Bills don't look frustrated on offense. They look like they're having fun. From a dumb fan perspective, I see how good the <laughs> Dallas defense is, how many interceptions they have, um, bland with a record-setting number of pick sixes this year. And they're going up against Josh Allen, who is a gunslinger, is willing to let it cut, cut it loose. Is that a correct line of thinking where, you know, you can maybe expect a couple turnovers and mistakes, or is it more nuanced than that, where maybe there are specific things this Dallas yeah. Cowboys defense does that makes a quarterback turn it over? Yeah. I think a lot of the turnovers start with the Cowboys having a lead. So when you have a lead on offense, your defense can start pinning their ears back, knowing you're not going to have a run threat. So in the NFL defense alignment, especially DNs, they are run to pass rush first on first and second downs typically unless they're just guessing so play action on first and second down will allow you as an offense to know the d line is going to engage and lock out their arms first then when they see the play action happen they're going to convert to pass rush that gives you a little bit more time in protection because these fast athletic freaks are not just screaming off the edge so the cowboys have been able to take advantage of their offenses they're playing against being in heavy pass situations most of the time I don't know that they're going to be able to do that this game against the Bills. If the Bills, in my opinion, if I'm the Bills, I'm getting the ball first. I'm going to ask to receive the ball. I'm going to try to go down, punch them in the face, and drive down and score and be ahead in this game as early as possible. Let them have the second half kick because I don't want to play this game from behind when Micah Parsons can just pin his ears back because that's where the turnovers start happening, when the quarterbacks have to start pressing. And I think they need to use that as their tactic. And it's worked in the past for other teams that I've been a part of. And that's kind of like try to get up as early as you can with the Bills, exhaust all options, and don't play from behind. I love that. Another game of the week contender, maybe this Ravens-Jaguars game, Sunday night football. Mm -hmm. On the surface, if you had to pick between Ravens, Jags, Broncos, Lions, which one would you pick? To watch? If I told you you could only pick one to watch, which one would you be picking? Ooh, I'm probably going to pick the I'm probably going to pick the Lions Broncos. Really? Why is that? I, I would Honestly, have thought you would have picked the other one. I know. I think I'm going to pick Lions Broncos because I love watching Ben Johnson the OC for the Lions when he's cooking. And I I hope that he can cook against this defense and then I hope that Russ tries to cook on the other side. Like I think that that game could be a fun Russ has the ball with two minutes left and he's got to go score a touchdown to win the game. And I like Russ in those situations. He's typically pretty good. Um, this Ravens game, I honestly feel like it's going to be a sloppy game by the Jaguars and the Ravens are just going to roll them. I don't think they match up well. I know the Jaguars are what they have four losses this year. Maybe. Yeah. They're on a skid right now. Uh, they've just lost their last two and let the Colts creep in a little bit on them uh, within a game yep. of the AFC South. So you look at the Jaguars and they're eight and five. And one of the things I actually saw this week when I was looking up this matchup is the stats for the teams. And right now, the league rank for both of these teams, points per game, you have the Jaguars in ninth, you have the Ravens in fourth. Jaguars are averaging 24 a game, Baltimore nearly 28. Points allowed, the Ravens are second at 16.8. The Jaguars' defense is 21st in points allowed. They've let up a lot of big point games the last few weeks. And then even their offense, like, we look at them, Trevor Lawrence, Calvin Ridley, ETN, like, oh, they're explosive. Like, they're really not. They have 11th most yards per game, which is not even top 10, obviously. That's math. And then their rush yards per game, they're 24th. And the Ravens' defense is first against the rush. And the Ravens' defense is top 20 against the pass. They let up a lot of pass, but they're typically playing with the lead. So these teams are playing from behind. Um, and that, for me, is like, okay, Ravens are probably going to dominate and control the game early. Jacksonville is going to have to start passing the ball more and game script wise, the way that I look at it, it's going to lead to some need to make big hail Mary type plays or just prayer plays from Trevor Lawrence. And that's not the defense to do it against. It's not, it's not like you're playing against the Texans and it's just bang, 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 back and forth. I just don't like this matchup for the Jaguars. I think they're fraud alert and they won't be top 10 in points after this game, in my opinion on offense anymore. So 
I think the jury's out. Jaguars are going to be eight and six and on the outside looking in and Gardner Minshew and the Colts, man, they're rolling up, knocking on the door and the Colts have the Steelers. So we have Colts, Steelers, seven and six. Obviously these implications matter. The Colts probably will beat the Steelers. Steelers are not looking good right now. Gardner Minshew's starting to play a little bit better. And after this week, the Colts could be tied with the Jaguars at eight and six in that division. And man, that's a, that's a fumbled bag for the Jags. And don't even forget about the Texans, too, who also sit at seven yep. and six. If CJ Stroud is able to play this week, very possible yep. that there is a three-way tie at the top of the AFC South, where whereas a couple weeks ago the Jags had the number one seed in the AFC, I believe. How do you see this crazy? How do you see this AFC playoff seeding shaking out? Obviously, with the win, it seems like the Ravens are in the driver's seat, but there's still a matchup they have against the uh, against the Dolphins later this year that could be. Yep have a lot of implications for that number one seed where do you see this landing so the the Ravens schedule is really unique they they have their own little mini gauntlet right here with the Jaguars I wouldn't call that a gauntlet on paper they should have been but it's not I think they'll beat them then they got the Niners and the Dolphins back to back Niners is going to be tough and I think the biggest thing is I like the Ravens more than the Dolphins but they have to play the Dolphins right after playing the Niners and we know that teams that play the Niners historically over the last two years have lost their following game like 70% of them have lost that. So that little two game stretch is going to feel kind of Philly to me where Philly just played the Niners, then had to play the Cowboys. And like Philly's a better team than what they showed the last two weeks, but they had two tough games back to back. It's, it's a tough deal, right? I still think that the Ravens will take the top seed. Jaguars fumble the bag, obviously from that. I think the dolphins, they aren't just going to skate on through. They have, the Cowboys as well, and the Ravens and the Bills, and they have the Jets this week who they could lose to. Like the the Dolphins, there's no way the Dolphins win three of the next four, in my opinion. But it's going to be interesting. I'm excited. Like I'm excited to see how it shakes out. I think the Ravens have the fast track to the number one seed, but they got they got a little two game stretch they got to work through. And again, this might be one of the crazier playoff races I think we've ever witnessed. Like at least in the past ten years. There's no clear-cut number one team besides the Niners. But the Niners are like one player away from not being that team either. So it's like, man, it's nice that the Patriots suck and Tom Brady's not there anymore because football is like, who knows, man. Yeah, I feel like more than ever this year, we're getting a lot of great matchups in the regular season, especially in primetime. Like we're getting Cowboys-Eagles. We're getting 49ers-Eagles. We're going to get Ravens-Dolphins. Like these are potential AFC-NFC championship Super Bowl matchups that we're getting in the regular season. I mean, it's been so exciting. Yeah, it's been, dude, I feel like as a football fan, like how can you not love this? Like it's everything you could hope for. Like there's nothing better than when in-season games matter prior to playoffs. And like you said, we've had a lot of them. I mean, it's interesting to me because that doesn't seem to be the pervasive thought. You have Tom Brady starting this entire dialogue about how the play (laughs) in the league is just bad and there is a lot of bad football that gets played during the week what do you make of mm-hmm. a comment like that from tom brady where he said that the quarterback play is just the play in general is really bad in the nfl meanwhile we're sitting here drooling over the slate it seems like every single week so what you yeah. know why is there that difference i think that's the outside looking in i think he's on the other side of the game and it's really easy to be critical i mean even me like i'm not playing anymore and i never i didn't play like tom brady obviously he didn't really play I had a kneel down or two but it is easier on the outside looking in when you're not in the weeds of everything to like super be super critical and like hyper focused on details and all that stuff. Where if you're on the inside, you're focused on your job and your stuff. And like maybe you're not really seeing how well some of these guys are playing or not playing around the league. And I wouldn't say that like I don't think the quality of play has gone down. I think the game is different. And it's been the game is a lot different in the last five years as it was even 10 years ago. And like defenders are more athletic now. There's more speed guys on the outside. The way that they're playing defense, the way that they're playing offense, it's different. Like Mike McDaniel's style of offense is going to be replicated over the next five years by a few different teams. It just is what it is. You look at the cow or the if you look at the Texans, the Texans are like next up and coming Dolphins in how they run offense with Bobby Sloak as their OC. The game's changing. They're adapting more towards college style and really just getting guys able to play from the transition out of college into the NFL quicker. They need these draft picks to play within their first year or two. Like there's no more three, four years of development for most guys. And that is why the game is different. So I don't think it's declined. I think the bigger plays are bigger now than ever. And like the, maybe there's a little bit of 
attention to detail being lost in the transition to get guys ready to play quicker. But I think, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with Tom there. I think he might have a point in the sense you, you sort of described the big plays are bigger. The, the bad football is probably worse. I think there's a bigger discrepancy between the really good teams and the really bad teams. I think yeah. there's a lot of messy middle and we just talked about that, right? Like there's no clear favorite this year, but it does seem like there's yeah. a couple teams that are just so bad that every week you're like, they have <laughs> literally no chance of winning a football game. And, and maybe there are just more of those teams I agree. this year than there have been in the past. And you know, it's funny because that point, like if you look at Tom's career, the Dolphins sucked, the Jets sucked, like that the the Bills super sucked. Like Tom, you played against guys for 20 plus, I don't even know how many years, 20 years that were like, you played against a lot of bad football guaranteed six times a year. Like, you know what I mean? I think there's always bad divisions. There's always bad teams. Right right now, like you said, the discrepancy might be a little bit larger of a gap, but Tom was a beneficiary of a super weak division. And if you had Tom Brady playing against Peyton Manning two times a year or playing against, gosh, Russell Wilson when he was with the Seahawks and they were rolling every year two times a year, like that's that's what, that's what uh, Justin Herbert's dealing with right now. You know what I mean? Justin Herbert has to play against Mahomes two times a year. And now the Broncos don't suck. Like, I just, I don't know. I think there's... There's a lot of moving pieces in the NFL, and that's why these discussions are always so nuanced because one angle sees it this way, one angle sees it this way. You forget this detail or that detail, but it's, yeah, it's easy to forget certain details when you've won so many games. And it's all related, too. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like, you can make the argument that the reason Tom Brady's division was so bad year after year is because all these other teams were so quickly turning over coaches and there was no continuity because they were chasing the the greatness of the Patriots dynasty yeah. and meanwhile you know Justin Herbert's now gonna go through a couple coaches because they're chasing Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes like there's this comparison yep. factor these teams aren't being built in a vacuum where oh you can just get the best coach and best quarterback and there are no other factors that influence how good your team is you know that's such a good point man yeah that's really good I, I want to ask you one more thing about uh, rookie quarterbacks just being thrown in sooner I agree with that mm-hmm. I think it's objective that rookie quarterbacks are now playing quicker than they ever have. Why do you think that is? Does it have like, I'm just trying to nail down what that trend is that makes rookie quarterbacks get thrown into the fire sooner, which I think is part and parcel to why there's such bad play happening. You might have a CJ Stroud who elevates the team, but more often than not, you're probably going to get a Zach Wilson who just makes you watch really bad football. Yeah. And I would like, I will say the thing with Zach, like, if you look at Zach last week, it was the first time you've ever seen in his career him just be like, F it. What are you going to do, bench me again? I'm just going to go out and ball. He played great. And it's like he was never given the chance to F it and play ball, really, and wasn't supported in doing that. And now it's like, well, we, what, we all have nothing to lose, so go play ball. And it's like, man, maybe if they took that approach a little earlier, maybe he would have looked like that a little earlier. And that's not just his coaching staff. That's the coaching staff that got him there before. Like, I think the biggest thing right now is with these quarterbacks that are coming in out of college, there's such a high expectation for them to be like an elevator immediately. Um, and knowing that the coaches that are bringing them in or the GMs could be fired in 11 months, could be fired in eight months. So like if you're taking one of those top guys, more often than not, you have a really shitty team. So if you have a really shitty team for one more year or two more years, you might not even make it there to see it. So you're going to go down swinging as a coach and put in this guy earlier because he gives you the best chance instead of like an Andy Dalton or, you know, one of these other guys that you just know what you're going to get out of him, Davis Mills. And so you hope that you have enough pieces around him to give him the first few weeks of the season to have that accelerated learning curve. And then if not, it is over just like the, the Panthers, like they didn't have enough pieces. And I think that is it is like, nobody's given time in the NFL anymore. So if you can't do it early, you're never going to get a chance to do it. So these coaches know. And again, it's coaching carousel is so crazy. Guys will get fired and leave. Guys will just leave. Get You know, it's just coaches leave every single year. Offensive coordinator has a great year. Bam, head coach next year. But man, if he doesn't have any results, bam, he's back to OC two years later. And then whoever he drafted is getting the new coach in. And it's just like, there are only like maybe five to 10 teams in the NFL that I look at that don't do it that way. And they give guys chances to have a bad year. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, there's just so much pressure stacked on top of pressure. You have owners. I think yeah. David Tepper almost seems like the 
ultimate example of this, where he's so antsy, no you know, he's so rich that he's expecting results immediately, which has these downstream effects on your GM, on your coach, and inevitably your quarterback to feel all of that pressure. And if you picture it like a, you know, like guys stacking on top of each other, of course, the person at the bottom, Bryce Young in this situation, is yeah. going to feel the most amount of pressure, right? And that cannot translate well to on-field performance. And you could argue it has not no. for him this year. Yeah, I'd agree with that, dude. It's It all starts at the top in every single organization, unless they're the Packers and you don't really have a top because you're owned by the pieces of paper. But um, it's still there. It starts at the top and decisions happen. And it's just like, there's not, there's no, there's no worse feeling than being a player too and seeing the dynamics start to shake out and see that there's people that aren't on the same page too. And then if you're the focal point of everybody's eyeballs in the organization and in the league for that instance, for that team, like Bryce Young, that's a shit place to go. Like that is such a Bryce at that point, I guarantee you like love. I bet he loved it. That he was the number one overall pick that contract's great. But at the end of the day, he's a competitor. He doesn't like losing. I would bet that he'd be willing to trade some of that away to fall back maybe 10 to 15 spots, still be the dude somewhere else, but in a better situation because look at guys like Baker Mayfield. He's now on his what third or fourth team, fourth team. And it's like, if he wasn't taking number one and went to the, the Browns, what would his career look like if he ended up in San Francisco? You know what I mean? Like so many situations matter. And like you said, it's none of it's in a vacuum. And that's the tough part because if you put a guy like Bryce Young with a skill set in with the Dolphins, what does that team look like? I think they look all right. They probably decent. Like he's got things that he does better than Tua, but Tua does, has things that he does better. You know what I mean? And so it's like Bryce is going to be with the Panthers for the next three, four years. Probably they're probably going to suck. And then he's probably going to, you know, get released or signed somewhere else. And then he's going to get a revitalization to his career, but then he's going to be four years in the league. And now he's no longer looked at the number as the number one overall pick, but like a Sam Darnold and backing up a per, you know, it's just like all because of the owner doing what he did and not setting him up for success. And it's just kind of tough to see. I hope it doesn't happen that way, but that's the pattern for sure. Yeah. I mean, you see it happen all the time, like you said, and there's the sliding door moments. And on the other side, you could have a Brock Purdy where things don't fall his way at the draft and he ends up in a better situation. And instead of being yeah. a Bryce Young in a crappy situation, he's a Brock Purdy in a great situation. So regardless, yep. so as you were saying that my mind was just rolling with all these learnings I could apply for entries to this weekend. I want to know, I was telling you this last weekend on, on some, on some yeah. DFS Rough weekend, man. It was, it was tough. And, and I will say to people who are listening, as Kurt lazies out for us, and you do a great job posting them on Twitter, you got to get on those quick because I saw them, you know, I don't know when you normally they post move. them, but a couple days later, and I'm not, I'm no longer getting Dak Prescott at 24 and a half completions. I'm getting him at 26 and a half completions. And that yep. was close to the difference this last weekend. So you got to get on these, man. And Dax, Dax 24 and a half. He literally hit 24. He was the difference in $6,000 of profit for me this week. Mm. And that has been my story for three straight weeks. And the most annoying part is like, the thing is, is I watch every game. So like when I see Dak Prescott 24 and a half, right? They handed it to the Eagles and he didn't need to throw the ball more where I thought it'd be a little bit more high scoring. Maybe the Eagles would have kept up a little bit more. If he had one more drive where he had to move the chains and they weren't up by two scores, he hits probably 26, 27. And even in that drive, he had a bootleg that he would have rolled out and hit a slide route to hit 25. And they covered it up and he took a sack because he didn't want to um, have the clock stop. And like, so I know, okay, if his line this week is set at, give me like 23, I'm probably going to hammer it again. And I'm okay with accepting that it was a good bet that just didn't play out right. And so when I'm making all of these for everybody that's listening, I watch every single game. I know how all the games go. And I know like the situations of what led them to those points. And I take all of that into account when I pick these um these entries. So yeah, looking, looking forward to, to Thursday. So we have some of the lines that came out already for Saturday games and for Sunday games. Um, the chargers Vegas game is a really unique one because both of them quarterback situation, super sketchy Devonte Adams, his uh, reception line came out earlier in the week at six and a half or at, I think four and a half. And now it's already up to six and a half, but I didn't have anything on the Chargers side that I like to pair it with yet. So I didn't touch it. So a little late to the party there. The one that I really think is going to hit on the um, Vegas side is Hunter Renfro. His reception line is set at two and a half. 
That is a 1.6x multiplier. I think he should be solid there. Last few weeks, he's had five, four, and three targets, and or five, four, and three receptions, and he's averaging about five targets over the last three weeks. So just off of that, he should get it. Thinking of the way that the Chargers play offense, they're going to have to throw the ball on both sides a little bit more. Um, so I like Renfro. I like Devontae Adams' um, yards with a super asterisk because – he is getting a lot of targets and that should lead to yards. But again, you just, you never know with quarterback play that's like not able to be counted on. So his yards right now are 67 and a half and he has hit that three out of the last four weeks. So again, I think that's going to hit. Those are the two on that side that I like. I also am a fan of Carlson field goals set at one and a half multipliers 1.6. I think that they're going to be, in field goal range a little more than they have been in the last few weeks. But that would be one that if I'm trying to build like a super entry with a lot of multipliers, I'm going to throw that in. If not, my two that I really like on that side are Devontae and Hunter. Um, and then this one is honestly the steal of the week, in my opinion, as long as he plays. Keenan Allen's questionable. He has a heel injury, so probably bruised heel or something like that. His reception line is set at 1.6. Even last week with Herbert not playing, he had six receptions on 12 targets, and I think the league in, a, in its whole, when you're playing in these contests, you need to look at target share. And so Keenan in his last, God, almost every game, these are some of his targets, 11, 9, 10, 9, 14, 16, 16, 9, 12. If he does not find a way to get six receptions off of those types of targets, even with Easton Stick playing, I would be shocked. And so that's the one on that side that I really like. And then I think you also have to take Easton Stick passing touchdown. He's only have he has one set. So if he has one touchdown, he hits. Those are what I'm looking for this week. Um in that Thursday game specifically. Again, by the time this episode comes out, probably gonna have been moved. I know I'll already have put in my entry, but that's how I like that's my process though of how I look at these games. Like, how do I think it's gonna play out? And then I revert and walk my way backwards into that. So I'm going to go to all players real quick and just go through receptions. Cause that's my favorite prop. Like it's, I feel like that's the easiest one to hit on because you know, target share and like game script, how things are going to go right now, what pops into my mind and what like really sticks out to me, you have Pittman set at six and a half in the last four weeks is at eight, 10, 11, and eight. He's playing against the Steelers going to be tough to run the ball against them, at least in theory he should get at least seven targets. That's what I'm looking at. I like Keenan Allen five and a half, like I talked about. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, sneaky, sneaky one. This is a high multiplier, has two, um, two X multiplier on five and a half receptions. Uh, Mullins with the Vikings helped revitalize George Kittle heavily when he was playing with the 49ers. And I would love to see Mullins hit his tight end more than six times this game. I think it's going to happen, and I think on like a one or two leg extra, it's worth throwing into there. Um, another guy that I like in this, I'm seeing Odell Beckham at two and a half receptions. That to me feels like a steal playing against the Jaguars. He's had four, three, and four the last few weeks. I see Tyler over there getting excited. Um, and then one more that I like. This is the week that Travis Kelsey gets back into his bag. Five and a half receptions. They took. They just took another L. And there's a common theme for when they win games. It's him getting fed. And they just haven't been finding ways to get him the ball enough. And last week, they almost won. He had the most targets that he's had in the last six weeks. I expect him to have those again. Double-digit targets lead to six or over receptions. So that's what I'm looking at right now, man. I, I like it. And again, the past few weeks, I think everyone's had a tough time with DFS and really just like Vegas in general. Vegas has been eating. Offenses have been off underperforming and most people are more inclined to pick the overs on things. It's just like how it goes. But I think that teams are getting into crunch time. Now they need to win these games and coaches oftentimes revert back to just feeding their studs and however it plays out, it plays out. So that's what I'm looking for this week. And um, I'm actually starting a new challenge this week. If you want to hop in, it is I'm basically what I'm doing for myself is I'm taking a thousand dollars a week and I'm putting it into DFS entries and I'm using $100 units. So I'll have some two legs, some three legs, some four legs, maybe a five. And I'm if I win, I'm not putting those earnings back into any new games. So I'm just going to, for the rest of the season, 
$1,000 risk, see what we can turn it into by the end of the year and trying to keep discipline. So that's kind of what I have looking forward to for the rest of the season. I love that. I think we'll have to post this exclusive pocket presence entry uh, for for those who made it this far in the episode. Do you? I, one final question just on, on the DFS side of things. When you have a Easton stick coming in, we haven't seen a lot of Easton stick film as, as football fans. You probably have your, your deep in the tape, but like what are tendencies of coaches, especially when it comes to rookie quarterbacks? Like my, I, I guess I don't even know what my inclination would be if it's an Austin Eckler game or is it a Keenan Allen game? Cause he's the guy, or maybe the ball gets spread out or maybe you just stay away from it because you don't know what the hell is going to happen. Like, how do you, yeah. how do you interpret some of these rookie guys? Cause we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of them this year with all these quarterback injuries. Yeah. Um, typically I stay away unless there's like a stud receiver or a stud running back attached to it. So normally like a guy like Keenan Allen, you're seeing his, uh, receptions discounted heavily. So as a quarterback, if you are looking to go, you know, fill in for the main guy, what are you going to try to do? You're going to try to feed the studs because you don't want to be the rookie that doesn't throw to your best players. And he may over force the ball to Keenan even more than Herbert does. And that's what I'm looking for this week. Um, I would expect a few more design checkdowns to Austin Eckler. So like very much offensive coordinator wise, get the ball out of his hands, give him easy completions. Well, dang, let me take the easy reception lines that are already discounted because he's not Justin Herbert. So that's what I'm looking at. And again, things could change. It cannot play out that way, but I would say probability wise, it's more likely to play out that way than not. So again, nobody's ever going to be perfect on these predictions for these entries or these, you know, legs for these parlays or whatever, but I like to look out at, I want to, I want to be a 70% or more shooter in this lane. And I've had a rough few weeks, but they're my best weeks. I'm like 78 to 85% right on my, um, on my entries with the players that I'm putting in and the formula is kind of starting to average out like upper sixties, lower seventies. So consistency over the long haul is what I'm looking for. And for those young guys, it's just getting the ball out of their hands. That's kind of how I look at it, man. And again, I know we've talked about a lot today. We've had some DFS, had some players, had some teams and coaches and all that stuff, but I'm excited. I feel alive recording this with you here, guiding through conversation when it's not just me talking to myself and having like topics to go over. It's been a lot of fun. And I think that it allows both of us to go a little bit deeper into these conversations that people really enjoy and the feedback has been great. So, so I'm excited. That about wraps up this episode episode 13, I believe. I don't know. We'll find out when it's posted. I know my guys at Sleeper know. So um, it was fun. I'm excited to dive in, watch what happens this weekend on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, I'm sure you'll be seeing me on Twitter with my sweated out. So come join me. 